It's the Euro Digest here on Football Digest. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. A drab draw for England as Scotland almost spring a surprise at Wembley. We'll get into Southgate selection. England going from contenders to pretenders. Scotland shootout to come with Croatia. Plus, we'll preview today's action with France and Portugal. Both looking to book a place in the last 16. Here to get into all of that, we have the Manchester United writer for the Manchester Evening News, Dominic Booth, and the Arsenal writer for Football.London, Kaya Kainak. I hope you're both well. Uh, Kaya, I'll come to you first. And in terms of what we saw at Wembley last night, it wasn't all too exhilarating, was it? No, uh, we, we were talking just before we came on about how we'd just woken up from the game uh, as soon as it finished. It wasn't the most exciting of matches, especially given all the build-up to it. Obviously, people were expecting shades of 96 and all the drama with that Gaza goal and the missed penalty, etc. like that. It wasn't anything comparable to that game, but I think it was a real slogfest in the midfield. Neither team had that much quality when it came to progressing the ball and the limited chances that did come for both sides, neither really had the quality on the night to take them. Yeah, no. Dominic, what did you make of it? I think there's a lot of obviously talk about it being a, a pouring on performance. Uh, I think it's probably a, a much better point for England than it is a, a performance. Um, Scotland, I don't think, showed a lot of quality either. I think, like Kaya said, it was uh, it was low quality. Um, obviously, a massive anticlimax after the, the build-up that it had had. But I think you get these games at tournaments, don't you? It's, it's all too common when you, you see... Um, Teams just playing a little bit with uh, with a handbrake on, showing a bit of caution. I think it was really on on Scotland to to make the running last night, and I don't think they were ever going to do that. So that was the result, really, with England playing a little bit safety first. So um, often the drama in these group games comes with the third game of the of the three, doesn't it? I do expect um, you know some teams will have to go for it, won't, won't they? So we might get a little bit more action and drama. Yeah, we sort of got, I suppose, a bit carried away after beating Croatia only by a goal to nil in the first game and thinking, here we go, England are going to win all three group games. But in terms of maybe where it went wrong, Kai, was it a, a selection issue, do you think? Or it, the, the pundits after the game, quite a lot of them talking about sort of England in terms of intensity just weren't at the level that they were maybe expecting and maybe let the occasion get to them a bit. I feel like if you criticise Southgate for the selection, you're talking after the fact. I think a lot of people were quite happy with the team selection before based on the Croatia performance. Phillips was man of the match in that Croatia game. He couldn't really do it against Scotland. Same could be said probably for Declan Rice. Sterling was a bit anonymous as well. Um, I think the intensity thing maybe came from, we spoke about the victory over Croatia. Maybe there was a bit of sort of comfortable comfortability around the England camp thinking, right, they've beaten Croatia it's going to be a bit of a coast to get to the knockout phases now. We're going to top the group, that kind of thing. And I think maybe there was a bit of arrogance in the sense that they felt that if they turned up on the night, they might win. Whereas obviously it meant a lot more for Scotland. They needed to get something from it. So I think selection would be harsh to criticise. For me, the midfield was where it all went wrong. I felt that maybe Southgate's substitutions, if you're going to criticise anything, is what you could criticise. I don't think bringing Rashford on for Kane was necessarily a bad choice, as a lot of people have been saying. I get that because there was a lot of balls in behind in the first half that nearly created chances, and you maybe thought Rashford's pace could do something with that. But for me, the big uh, the big problem uh, with Southgate's changes were that we didn't see Jane Sancho come on to try and sort of take anyone one-on-one, and we didn't see Jude Bellingham come on to try and just move that ball with a bit more urgency in the midfield, which I thought Phillips was really struggling with. Yeah, to be fair, take your, take your point, actually. When the, when the teams went in, I think maybe one thing that perhaps surprised England and, and maybe even Gareth Southgate, Dominic, was just how sort of aggressive Scotland were. We were we were talking yesterday that Che Adams might come in, but that might have been a straight swap for, for Lyndon Dykes. In the end, Steve Clark went with two up front. He 
brought Billy Gilmore in for his first start and put Scott McTominay in defence. It, it was a very, very brave selection from Scotland. Yeah, and I thought that worked really well for them. I thought Adams found uh, really nice pockets of space in behind the England midfield. Uh, and that far too often from an England point of view, that ball was getting into him. Uh, and Rice and Phillips weren't really where they should be. Uh, and then the inverse effect for England was that Rice and Phillips weren't higher up, uh, higher up the pitch enough when England had the ball and we weren't breaking through um, the Scotland the midfield. McGinn put an absolute shift in there as well, didn't he? I mean, uh, some some dubious fouls at times. And I think that the Scotland tactics, um, you know, rightly so, really, to disrupt the England play were very successful. Sometimes went beyond the, the laws of the game, but I think that's well within their rights. Um, and I was impressed with McTominay at the back. He didn't really do a lot. Uh, United, Man United fans uh, that I write for are used to see used to seeing Scott McTominay bounding through midfield, box to box, breaking late into the penalty box. I don't think he crossed the, the halfway line in the match, did he? But it, it was a really solid display from him. And and I think Steve Clark got a lot right um, on the night, uh, whereas Gareth Southgate didn't. Uh, but after after saying all that, Scotland are the ones now who have their backs really up against the wall needing to beat Croatia. And England will feel that that is a really good point in the scheme of things. Um, there's obviously been a lot of talk about England finishing second. We'll probably get onto that later on, but um, it's not the worst point for England, despite the, the frustrations of that performance. And and like Kaya said, that the Southgate did get a lot wrong, including the substitutions. Yeah, I think that may be, as you say, Kai, easy to be wise after the event for the selection. But the substitutions last night were baffling. I thought Phil Foden was one of England's better players and he was the first one dragged off. I've tried to get my head around it. I, I thought Sterling was definitely, if anyone was going to come off, he was the player to come off. You wonder maybe if sort of the the stature that Sterling had in the squad played into that. Uh, that would just be speculation. It'd be impossible to say for sure. But I agree with you. I thought Foden was looking one of the more creative players. I think he has done throughout the tournament. And maybe if you were going to take um, the player off, it was going to be Sterling for Grealish. It didn't really make much sense for me to put um, Sterling over to the right-hand side. If you were going to do it that with anyone, maybe bring on Sancho or maybe even have Bakayo Saka in the squad. Uh, we've been writing about Arsenal at football.london all season and we've been raving about how he's someone who does make things happen. And that's one of the, the quirks of this tournament, isn't it? That you can have players in your team, but you can't actually include them on the bench, which has proved a bit of a problem for England so far. Um, I think I th what Southgate was trying to target in Scotland, which he maybe saw as a weakness, was their right-hand side with uh, Stephen O'Donnell, who wasn't maybe the quickest for Patrick Schick's headed goal in the Czech Republic game. And he maybe saw that as something they could target, which is perhaps why uh, they included Luke Shaw um, to go for a more attacking threat down the left. But it just didn't work. And I thought Sterling was a big part of that. Subs, uh, another sub, I, I've already spoken about Kane. I thought I don't think he necessarily had a bad game. I just feel that the, the ball wasn't getting up to him. I don't think his the service to him was the best. I'm not a huge fan of having seeing him drop deep all the time, especially when the threat in behind is Sterling, who wasn't having his best game. And I thought Foden was better, but even still uh, wasn't really causing problem, Scotland too many problems. Yeah, no, most definitely. And Harry Kane, obviously, this last season has dropped deep an awful lot for Tottenham as well and been brilliant even in the midfield for them as much as up top as well. But he is in this England team really to score the goals. The midfield players, I take your point, should really be able to do their job enough for him to be at the top end of the pitch. Uh, Dominic, I'll ask you about Jaden Sancho. He's been heavily linked now for the last two summers with a move to Old Trafford. He's yet to feature in this tournament. And I'm, I'm sure that a number of the uh, readers of what you write for the Manchester Evening News are sort of scratching their heads as to why he can't get on the pitch and would love to see him. 
Yeah, I think he'd be a huge asset to this England side. There isn't a natural right attacking right side attacking player really in the squad other than Jaden Sancho. Talk about Raheem Sterling playing there, Phil Foden's playing there, but a, a lot of people I think would like to see Phil Foden in a more central position. I think that was the that was the play from Southgate last night. He should have moved Foden into a central position, bring on someone like Sancho. And I think Harry Kane thrives when he has pace around him. He can drop deep and there's two quick runners bombing on beyond him, whether it be Son, maybe in Bale for Spurs, uh, Lucas Moore or someone like that. And, and England have got one at the moment, really. They're playing with either Sterling or Rashford on the left. Uh, and the other player is, is sort of an attacking number 10, but playing out wide, which I think is is, a, is an error, really, and maybe shows some of Southgate's caution. Um, and the fact that he didn't take someone like Phillips or Mount off last night, I think, was the, was the, was the error when he was bringing Grealish on. Um, but in terms of Sancho, I think what you can offer England is that lock-picking ability in the final third, which they have lacked in both games, really. They've been quite controlled in both games, defensively quite assured, but they're just maybe lacking that, that slight X factor. Um, and service into Harry Kane. You know, Jane Sancho's uh, record of assists in the last two or three seasons with Dortmund is absolutely outstanding. So if anyone can play the, the killer ball through and get Harry Kane off the mark in this tournament, I would say that it's probably Jaden Sancho. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I suppose it's it's a strange one where we find England now, Kyra, in terms of setting the intro, going from contenders to pretenders. I mean, maybe we've all got carried away thinking that, that England were going to go deep in this tournament and really cause a real threat. But maybe last night serves as a bit of a wake-up call. Perhaps, but if you look at the way the groups are turning out, if England end up coming second in this group, if they don't beat the Czech Republic, which um, could happen in the final game, if Southgate decides to rotate his squad a bit, then... They could get a slightly nicer draw like we saw in 2018, which made such a big difference. And then they suddenly go from pretenders, like you say, to contenders again, because they're likely to get, I think it's one of Spain or Slovakia or Sweden as things stand. So I think if you're an England fan, you'd rather take that than the likelihood of what is Germany or Portugal in the next round. That said, I do think England probably need to start showing a little bit more in this group in this group stages. I didn't think against Croatia, I thought they were good, but it was a very poor Croatia side. And we saw that against the Czech Republic from them, they didn't really turn it on until the second half. And even then, they didn't really impress me that much. So maybe a bit more is needed from England. I think it's easy to say in tournament football that you need to take the handbrake off and be really attacking. But Gareth Southgate's job isn't to play nice football. It's to go out there and win games and get results. And so far, England haven't conceded a goal. Uh, they haven't lost any matches. So he'll probably be looking at that and saying taking positives from it. But I think if England are to go on and win this, they really need to use their strengths, which are in the attacking areas. And I don't think they've quite managed to find a way to do that yet. Yeah, I just want to win every game. That, that, that's, the, <laughs> that's the thing for me. But, but Dominic, the, the whole thing about now maybe finishing second, because if, if it's a draw with Czech Republic on goal difference, they would they would top the group given how it stands right now. And England would go through in second place. But you surely, if, if the aim is to reach semi-finals or, or finals, even win the tournament, at one stage, you are going to have to play a top five ranked nation. You can't sort of try and keep away from them the whole way through, can you? I've heard this argument, but there's a lot of teams who have won a lot of trophies by avoiding the poor, the, the best teams, then let someone else knock them out, and then you beat the poorer side. That's that's a legitimate way of winning a tournament. So if Southgate's looking at it like that, then he's probably a more intelligent man than, than most. But it's 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 absolutely fine for England to 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 want to finish second and want to get a better opponent in the last sixteen. You'd rather play a France or a Germany or a Portugal in the semi-final or the final 
when you picked up some confidence and you've got the the backing of the nation, those games are going to be at Wembley again. Um, I think I think England have got to be careful that they don't lose momentum because if they don't beat Czech Republic after this draw with Scotland, then I think morale may dip a little bit in the country and especially depending on the nature of the performance against Czech Republic, that's not the way you want to go into a, a knockout game. Uh, I think England will be safely through now. I think there's there's no worries about that. It's just about performance level. Uh, and that was the most worrying thing about Scotland. It wasn't the fact that, that the game was drawn. It was the performance and the the lack of attacking end product, really. It, to create such few chances against against Scotland is a, is a concern for me. And England do have to improve. And Kaya said they maybe rotate the squad for the, the Czech Republic game. I think that would be welcome. I think there's a few players in that squad itching for opportunities. Uh, you know, mentioned, mentioned Sancho. Someone like Jude Bellingham could come in. There's a lot of options at fullback, although I did think Luke Shaw was good uh, against Scotland. It'd be good to to see some other members of the squad and they can state their claim for the knockout stages. Yeah, no, most definitely. Now the Scotland game's out of the way, though, I have to say that I just hope we don't have to see the, the Gascoigne goal on repeat. It might be an unpopular opinion, but I think it's seen enough of that for, for, for this I summer. Agree. Yeah, no, Kaya, in terms of England then and the makeup of the squad and what Dominic said there in terms of selection moving into the, the game with Czech Republic and maybe seeing different players, wanted to ask you about Ben White. Of course, there's been a lot of talk this last week about the Brighton and Hove Albion defender with potentially a move to Arsenal. What's what's the situation there? Uh, obviously, you've probably seen the reports in the newspapers and websites across the country that Arsenal did submit a first offer for Ben White for around £40 million. Uh, that was rejected, but Arsenal were planning to go back with a second offer of £45 million. I'm not quite sure if they've done that yet, but that's what they're they're planning to do. I think Brighton wants somewhere closer to just above the £50 million mark, so they're hoping for some sort of compromise there. Just in terms of the actual deal itself, um, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are quite happy with the fact that Ben White's a good player and they see him as someone who can be a replacement for David Luiz, who was important to the build-up for Arsenal last season in terms of bringing the ball out from the back and playing uh, balls over the top, getting it forward a lot more directly to uh, the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette in the final third. Arsenal struggle with moving the ball quickly out of defence and that makes them quite easy to pay against. So a ball-progressing centre-back would be good. The only reservation most have is that in William Saliba, who's someone who people have heard a lot about but still never seen play for Arsenal, they have a player who is capable of doing that. He's someone who is capable of progressing the ball out of defence. He's done it with Nice. He's Still rough around the edges, he's only 20 years old, but to spend £50 million on Ben White when you've already got Rob Holding, Gabriel and Pablo Marie in the squad does sort of suggest that Saliba's future at Arsenal is maybe under scrutiny, maybe questionable right now, given the fact that there's only three competitions next season. So I think there's a lot of positives about the Ben White deal, but there's also a lot of fair questions to be asked about it. Yeah, no, most certainly. Right, let's move on from the uh, the England-Scotland game. Actually, just quickly before we do, Carl, I'll just come back to you in terms of Kieran Tierney. Played well coming back into the Scotland side and on the verge of a, a new contract at Arsenal. Yeah, uh, very close to signing a five-year contract. My colleague at Football and Chris Wheatley, was reporting that yesterday. Uh, missed in the first game against Czech Republic, and I think that was a big blow for Scotland, just the fact that they didn't have him, uh, that attacking presence down the left-hand side. They looked so much better with him in the squad, playing that sort of hybrid left uh, centre-back, left-wing-back role that we've seen do for Arsenal so well.
Right, the other games yesterday then in England's group at Hamden, it finished Czech Republic 1, Croatia 1. Dominic, big talking point in this game. First VAR howler of the tournament. We've spoken an awful lot about how good the refereeing's been. Not quite sure if that was a penalty. What were your thoughts? Um, sure, it wasn't a penalty. Uh, I think it was <laughs> it was a slightly baffling one, really. And like you say, the refereeing has been really good in this tournament. Uh, and I know that a lot of people, it's, it's a very, very unpopular to ever praise referees, but I think the referees, by and large, have been letting the play go. Uh, they've been those sort of marginal 50-50 fouls haven't been given, and the play has been been quite fluent. I think the referee in the England Scotland game actually was was probably one of the poorest in the tournament so far that, that I've seen. Um, but England's England's first game against Croatia, I think the refereeing was excellent, and it has been uh, for many of the other games. That was just a really odd call for me. As soon as that went to VAR, I expected it to be quickly overturned after a check uh, and no no pun intended and um, and play go on but it was an odd one I think Croatia will probably feel um, they probably deserve to win the game they were the better team I think Czech Republic regressed in their performance against Scotland didn't look anywhere near as dangerous um, although to be fair they didn't actually look that good against Scotland Scotland just missed a load of chances and Patrick Schick scored two excellent goals one of them uh, which will live long in the memory so Nothing to be fearful of if England are considering about Czech Republic at the moment. Um, and that Scotland-Croatia game is going to be really interesting to watch, actually. I think, um, you know, they're both going to be going going for the three points, which, which should make for entertaining viewing. Yeah, no, talking of puns, I, I tweeted out yesterday, VAR Czech leaves Croatia feeling chic. It was uh, one, of the poorer, yeah, one of the poorer attempts, but we are where we are. Croatia... In terms of Scotland and, and Dominic saying it there, you look at that Scotland midfield yesterday, the, the energy they've got, yes, the, the quality might not quite match the individual class of those Croatian players, but energy and legs getting in and around them, that was what Czech Republic did. And it certainly first half, it really paid off for them. Yeah, it did. I I, I couldn't tell whether it was Czech Republic um, with their energy or whether it was Croatia's sort of lax approach. It looked like when they came out at the start of the second half, they got a bit of a rollicking from their manager at halftime, which really did make a difference for them. I thought... Croatia, their midfield is obviously packed with quality. We know from Kovacic and uh, Modric and players like that. Brozovic, who wasn't even playing yesterday. There's plenty of players in there who, if they want to, can control the game. And if they decide to do that, there'll be very little that Scotland can do about it. But in terms of actual threat up front, in terms of goal-scoring power, they don't really offer an awful lot, which I thought Anti Rebic yesterday was disappointing again. Um, Petkovic was much better once he came on, but I don't necessarily think he's that big of a threat that Scotland can't deal with him. So... I think Scotland maybe will fancy their chances. I don't know if they'll be able to win that midfield battle, but in terms of if Che Adams drops deeper, that might help them if they stick him on Modric, if Modric is a bit deeper. We saw that work for England uh, when Modric sort of dropped a bit deeper and tried to control the game. It, it can be done. I think Scotland could do it and Scotland could get a result against Croatia, um, but it's going to be very difficult for them. Yeah, no, most definitely. And the other game we saw yesterday was Sweden getting off the mark, of, well, getting a win, actually, four points. Looks as though qualification to the last 16 probably all but secured for them, Dominic. But Alexander Isak, he uh, put in another strong performance. And to me, looks as though he might be the breakout star of this tournament. No, he had a good season in La Liga, but not many people will have seen him before this tournament. He's put in two very strong performances now. Absolutely. He looks an absolute star, doesn't he? His ability on the ball, his pace... Just getting away from defenders. That that run was absolutely outrageous when he, he slalomed past about four or five players and then nearly finished it off with a goal as well. Uh, it, amazing to think that he's already been at Borussia Dortmund and been let go by them. Uh, and obviously, he rebuilt his uh, his club career 
with Real Sociedad in La Liga all before the age of 21 is is mad, really. But I think there'll be a few suitors for him this summer. I, d- I don't know what the situation is with some of the top Premier League clubs and an attacking signing, but he looks like he's slotting absolutely anywhere in the Premier League with, with those feet and that pace. Um, and yeah, when you think about breakout stars and tournaments these days, often all the, all the names are taken, aren't they? We know so much about European football these days that you look down the list and, you know, Jaden Sancho or, or whoever else, we, we, we know that Man United are interested or whoever, but Isak maybe could be one of those bolters that you, you think of shining at a tournament and, and suddenly finding himself on the short list of all the top clubs. So I'm trying to think who else in the tournament, maybe someone like Manuel Locatelli in the Italy side, I think there's been a lot of talk about uh, some Premier League interest in, in him, very solid midfielder. Um, but there's not many these days. It's uh, we, we all know too much these days. Yeah, I think Locatelli and yeah, Isak have been the two really to jump out so far. And Dominic said there, Kaya, many many suitors around maybe for Isak. He's he's been linked with Arsenal. Yep. Who hasn't? Of course he has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Locatelli's also been linked with Arsenal. Just uh, throw that one in there. Um, I think the Isak interest is a little bit more genuine, but that depends on Alexander Lacazette's uh, contract situation. Arsenal have I'm trying to offer him a one-year extension. Um, we're not sure whether he's accepted that or whether contract talks are still ongoing. You'd imagine if he doesn't accept that, given that he's only got one year left on his current deal, that Arsenal will try and sell him this summer. But then that leaves a question, again, with the limited competitions that Arsenal are in next season. Do they stick with Aubameyang, uh, Martinelli and Flo Balogun as their only striking options? Or is that too much of a risk? Arteta's shown himself to be a manager who likes um, experience. Isak isn't necessarily experienced, but he has got four seasons, as Don was saying there, four seasons worth of top flight football under his belt. So he's someone who could come in. And I, I think I, what has really impressed me is he doesn't look like someone who's necessarily strong, but he's quite capable of um, handling himself up against the bigger central defenders that we've seen him up against in this tournament, mixed with sort of that dribbling ability and pace that we saw yesterday against Slovakia. So I think he'd be a good signing. But again, it comes down to whether Arsenal will prioritise signing a centre forward this summer. They've got a lot they need to do in the market. Um, They've seen hell bent on signing a centre-back. They need a creative midfielder. They need, just in terms of numbers, they need another goalkeeper, another left-back and central midfielders. So I think if Arsenal were to go for a striker this window, that would represent a lot of business to be doing in one window. It would probably surprise me. Yeah, no, most definitely. He only turns 22 in September, Isak, so I'm sure he's going to be a name we're going to hear for an awful long time to come. Let's get into today's action then. Hungary versus France first up. France looking to to qualify for the last 16. And Dominic, we've been asking Kaya about transfer targets. United, as well as Jadon Sancho, keep getting linked with Rafa Varane at centre-half. Yeah, uh, the understanding is that they have made a a £50 million bid for for Varane, who's um, fairly certain to leave Real Madrid, I think, this summer. There's a, a sense from them that they need to cash in on some players and generate transfer funds um, cash straps at the moment, if you can believe the the La Liga giants, but um, as well as Sergio Ramos leaving, they could say goodbye to, to Varane as well. But it's amazing to think he's only 28. United actually were interested in Varane 10 years ago before he even went to, to Real Madrid, and he's had a decade there now. So, yeah, the understanding is that they, Madrid wants about £80 million for him. United will be reluctant to pay that for a player who has only one year left on his contract. They obviously paid. £80 million for Harry Maguire two years ago. So that'd be one heck of an expensive defence if they they pair Varane and Maguire together. But the idea is that that United needs someone with Varane's experience, still got the pace, 
um, to sit next to Maguire and replace Victor Lindelof, who, who has been okay in the last couple of years. But most people, most United fans believe that they need an upgrade on him and if they're really to challenge for the Premier League. Uh, Varane is seen as the absolute perfect target for that. He looked very, very assured in France's first game of the tournament um, against Germany and he ticks a lot of boxes for United. But um, they're going to have to work a little bit harder if they want to, to get nearer Real Madrid's valuation at the moment. Yeah, no, most definitely keep an eye on that one then. <clears throat> Move on to, to Germany v Portugal. We're fastly running out of time. And Germany are going to need a result, aren't they, Card, from these next two games? They're going to need at least a win. Otherwise, it looks as though they could be staring down the barrel of elimination from the group stage. Again, they suffered that in Russia 2018. And it's not been since Euro 2004 when they kind of hit their big reset on how they've gone about things. But their side looks so stale right now. They really didn't impress me in that game against France. I thought it was it was flattering on them to only lose 1-0, to be honest. And all those offside goals that France had, it really could have been a lot more humiliating a scoreline. Um, they didn't particularly look very threatening. They were quite toothless up front. We saw Timo Werner's had a relatively poor season for Chelsea. I thought playing Serge Gnabry as a false nine was odd when you had Kai Havertz in the team, who was someone who's played false nine for Chelsea and done it quite well. I'm not a huge fan of them playing a back three as well. And you consider that Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané are probably up there with their best players and they're both wingers. So uh, Yogi Love has a lot of questions that he needs to answer. And Portugal are a very good side. I mean, 3-0 was probably flattering to them in that first game against Hungary and Hungary easily could have got a result. But Portugal are a very good team with obviously Cristiano Ronaldo. But then if you look at the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, um, Rafa Silva, Andre Silva, it's all the Silvers who they've got at Portugal. There's plenty of them. And... They're a very threatening team and um, I've got them in my sweepstake and I'm quite happy with that because I think they could be someone who could go quite far in this tournament. Yeah, Silva's trying to strike gold for Portugal. Let's, let's <laughs> go with that one, shall we? In terms of the, the final game then today, Spain against Poland, Dominic. And there's been a bit of, I suppose, lazy punditry through the tournament about Italy, sort of saying they're stubborn, they will defend well and they've been anything but. But Spain, everyone was expecting maybe a bit of a, a more direct team. But I've got a statistic here that they attempted... 917 passes against Sweden. They completed 830 of them. Those are records at European tournaments when we weren't expecting Spain to be a passing side. Well, it's the Spain of old, wasn't it? The, the pass, 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 but with, maybe without the finish on, on top of it. I know Spain were absolutely dominant at, at the Euro 2008 and 2012, obviously the World Cup in between. We knew what they were all about then. The personnel has changed dramatically since and they do seem a lot weaker, to be honest with you. I know um, Jose Enrique sprung a few surprises by leaving some big names out of his squad. And I think that there's a couple of the, of the old bastions of that that, that 2008-12 squad um, still left in there. It's Sergio Busquets and Jordi Alba, maybe, who could feature against Poland. Uh, I think Busquets has been back in training. So I think Spain are a shadow of where they were, actually. And uh, this could be tempting fakes. They could meet England in the last 16 and then knock England out. But I do think that this is a Spain team sort of shorn of its uh, sharp end. And it'll be a tough game against Poland. I know that everyone talks about Lewandowski. He doesn't seem to, to do it in major tournaments of Poland. Maybe he will come good at some stage. They're probably approaching one of his uh, one of his last tournaments. Uh, so it'll be interesting, this one. It's got a draw written all over it for me. but. Um, I think both these teams need to show something uh, or they probably risk finishing second or third in this group. Yeah, no, most definitely. And, and and that is one of the big points. I mean, obviously they're across different groups, Kai, but in terms of Spain and Germany, if England were to face either of them, if they finish second or top and things work out in that way, it would be about playing what's in front of you and not the name because there's nothing really to fear, is there? 
there's there's some stuff to fear uh just in terms of the the history does always play a part psychological aspect of football matches you can never retake really that away but i think england would definitely be the favorites if they were to to play those sides both of them look very toothless in those first couple of games a lot of nice passing that you were mentioning there before without much penetration uh I think England would be wary given their own performances in this tournament, which haven't exactly set the world light as we've spoken about at the start. They'd be wary of getting too confident of beating a Spain or a Germany, just given um, the quality that both sides still still do possess. But yeah, England would, would probably fancy their chances. I wouldn't quite go, go as far as to say there's nothing to fear, but I'd, I'd back England in those games. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, right, okay, that's it from us for te- today here on the Euro Digest. From myself, Guy Clark, Kai Kainak and... Dominic Booth, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now.